This special edition of the HHH Racing Podcast is brought to you by the Adelphi Racing Club. The Adelphi Racing Club is a partnership in every sense of the word, not a syndicate, and our members are treated like partners, not investors. If you're interested in joining a group of like-minded individuals and having a truly interactive ownership experience, we are the right fit for you. Adelphi offers a variety of partnership options, including yearlings, two-year-olds in training, private purchases, and claiming options. We were recently active at the FASIC Tipton Saratoga Yearling Sale for New York Reds and have three exciting prospects currently available. Number one, an arrogant cult out of the family of Audible and Governor Malibu headed to trainer Christophe Clement. A beautiful toneless filly out of a stakes place dam also headed to the Clement barn and a hard spun colt who wowed us with his powerful walk headed to, tra- headed to trainer Ray Handel. This is a very exciting group of prospects. You can see information to get in touch with racing manager Matt Couture below. Join the club, just like me, today. And now, let's start the show. Hello and welcome to this special edition of the HHH Racing Podcast. It is all about Adelphi, episode number three. This is your host, Howard Kravitz. Thank you very much for joining us today. Please make sure you subscribe on the bottom right-hand side of the screen right there. And after you do that, hit that notification bell, which will tell uh, YouTube and others this is a great show. We'll also tell you when shows will be arising. Of course, smash that thumbs up button. We greatly appreciate it. For all of you that are partners of Adelphi, I'm a partner as well, as you uh, may know. And I'm uh, very excited to have uh, some pieces of several horses through Adelphi. And if you're not familiar with this uh, show, All About Adelphi, this is the third episode of the show. We've had two others. On the YouTube channel, if you go below, um, you scroll down just a little bit, you can see our other two episodes. Uh, regarding all about Adelphi. We bring on personalities and many people involved with the Adelphi Racing Club. Of course, uh, managing partner Matt Kutzer does an excellent job. I can vouch for all that. I've had a great experience. And tonight, or today, I should say, we have a very special guest that I'm excited to bring on. But before we do that, let me bring in my co-host who's going to be helping me with our interview today from the East Coast and the Saratoga Special. Mr. Paul Halloran. Paul, how are you doing today? Happy Monday, Howard. Happy, happy Travers Monday. Week. Happy uh, Travers yes, Week. Yes, happy Travers Week. It's very exciting. Uh, it's a big week. And for those of you that are not aware or new to the HHH Racing Podcast, very quickly, we have two other shows this week. Thursday night, uh, 7.30 Eastern Standard Time. We have a full blowout show with Paul and my other great co-host, uh, Pete Visco. And Andrew Champagne is coming back. Uh, of course, he does a fantastic job. So, again, 7.30 Eastern Standard Time on Thursday, a full uh, card preview of Travers Day. Paul, it's going to be a 
unbelievable day of racing. And then, of course, this Saturday on Travers Day, the HHH Racing Podcast making its first show appearance live at an OTB at Crazy Four. Very excited uh, about that in Villa Park. Of course, that is going to be uh, Saturday live from 3.30 to 6.30 uh, p.m. So we're very excited about that. Please check us out Saturday, 3.30 to 6.30 uh, p.m. Paul, we're going to bring on our guest just a moment. He just, uh, there he is. He's back screen. Okay, I want to make sure that our that our guest didn't think we were forgetting about him. Miguel, I can see you. Uh, Miguel, quick thumbs up if you can hear me and we're ready to go for you. Uh, okay, all right, great. So Miguel is ready to go. We'll bring him on here uh, in just a second. Paul, we had a very exciting uh, last weekend. <laughs> Some very interesting things happened on the racetrack, as you are well aware. But anyway, there's another, there's a time and place for that. Let's bring on, Paul, um, a very exciting gentleman that I've been looking forward to have for a long time. Does a great job with several horses for the Adelphi Racing Club. Is making a name for himself in the training world for many years now. And is, of course, is the proud son of world-renowned trainer Christoph Clement. We're going to be talking uh, to Mr. Miguel Clement about many things. So please make sure if you're watching live, everyone, that in the chat, please, any questions you have for Miguel Clement, Adelphi Racing Club, anything uh, in that area, please make sure you put questions on the upper right-hand corner in the live chat. We have a lot of people uh, watching. We, I see Raymond is already here. So again, keep those questions coming. We'll ask as many questions uh, for Miguel as possible. Paul, we ready to rock and roll? Absolutely. All right, let's do it. So live from, I'm assuming, I'm assuming Saratoga, somewhere in the Saratoga area. Let's bring him on. He is a trainer for the Adelphi Racing Club, along with many of their partnerships, assistant uh, trainer, mainly New York and, and uh, excuse me, and Florida. Let's bring him on right now live. Miguel Clement. Miguel, how you doing, sir? Very good. How is everyone? Hey, Miguel. I'm doing great. Good, good to see you. I actually saw you uh, last month. I was in um, Saratoga. I'm hearing a little feedback on that. That's from Miguel. I'm assuming. I don't know. Can you guys hear any? any uh, can you hear my voice? I'm hearing an echo. I don't know if you are hearing an echo. You are, Paul, also. Okay. Miguel, I'm going to... I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and, and take you off screen, Miguel. I don't know if you can switch to a different um, sound, possibly because I'm hearing an echo. Paul and I are both hearing an echo, so I don't know if you have headphones or you can try something else. Miguel, I'm gonna take you off screen real quick. And I'll bring you right back. See if you can make sure the sound is good for you. I'll bring you right back, Miguel. So as we bring back, you heard that, Paul? You hear an echo? Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay, we heard an echo. So I don't know if Miguel can maybe hook up uh, headphones or. Uh, I'm not sure. I don't know if he has anything. Doesn't look like he has anything. We might just have to. Uh, do you have any suggestions, Paul, <laughs> for Miguel to, well, to get rid of the echo? Or I'm not sure how he's. You know, if he's using a monitor or if it's a speaker. You know. Yeah. It, it sounds like it's being double broadcast. Yeah, it's like Miguel. Maybe you have this. If you have the sound on, maybe just turn the sound off on whatever device you're using. That that could be the problem. Yeah. Actually, that probably is the problem, right, Paul? Because he's. Yep. But what? We'll see. So uh, I'm going to bring – sorry, everyone. We'll let, Miguel, let me bring you back out and see. see. Nope. No, I, got, I, I still got hear it. Echo. echo. Paul, do you hear Paul, an echo, you hear also? echo also? Yes. Yes. Okay. Miguel, okay. do you hear Miguel, an echo, you hear on, your echo on your end? Probably, Probably not. Probably not. <laughs> oh, good. Great. That's very strange. That's very strange. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Um, um, Paul, you're on Paul, mute you're now, on so. now, so. 
I don't know. Go ahead, Paul. Go ahead, Paul. I was, was, was going to say, I can hear it when you're talking as well. Yeah, now now I hear it when you're talking as well. All right, I'll tell you what, guys. I'm going to take both of you. This doesn't happen too often. I apologize to everyone watching at home. I'll tell you what. Comment in the chat if you guys hear uh, we can just uh, go ahead and continue with the show, the show if, uh, if people at home are not home hearing anything. So, so uh, those of uh, you that are watching, Raymond, uh, David, uh, David, many others, if you could comment in the live chat if you're hearing an echo, I'd greatly appreciate it because this doesn't easily happen. So if the people at home are not hearing an echo, Paul and Miguel, I think we'll just go ahead and continue with the show. Yeah. Let's go ahead and continue. Miguel, I greatly apologize. I'm not sure what's going on. But what's new in Saratoga Springs? How's the weather today, first of all? It's okay. I think we're expecting a good deal of rain this afternoon, so we'll mess up my training chart for tomorrow. But, I mean, as of now, it's okay. Okay, well, that's okay, good. Well, I know the weather. There's supposed to be a little rain today, little rain tomorrow, today tomorrow, but it's supposed tomorrow, to be clearing up, up uh, later uh, in the week, so it should be great for Travers weekend. Miguel, I know that we have a lot of questions like to ask you 10 minutes to post. We have people that are going to be asking a lot of questions. Let's just go ahead and jump right in, Miguel. First of all, thank you very much, of course, for joining us on the podcast. We greatly appreciate it. Was becoming a trainer on your radar even when you were at college at Duke University? Um, no, it was on the radar way before Duke. I had to go to university. It was a parent's rule. Um, <laughs> and I had to do a university. I had nothing to do with horses. So that's why Duke came into the horizon. Uh, otherwise, I probably done in the UK like most of us do in this, you know, profession. Nevertheless, um, even from a young age, I always wanted to be a trainer. I always wanted to train. That's terrific. That was, that was, that was, that was one of my questions, questions, Miguel. I, I kind of assumed that, 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 that parents, parents said, if you want to get into business, get a college, get a college degree, degree first. 100%. And um, every internship from there on out during college was everything outside of horses. So bank, um, you name it, I probably followed along those lines, but it was always back to horses. It, uh, it was inevitable. They tried. So I don't, I'm, so sorry, I don't, to I'm sorry to interrupt you. Apparently there's an Apparently echo with me, an and I have no idea why. And there's an echo with Paul, but Miguel is fine. And I never had echoes, so I don't know. We'd rather listen to Miguel anyway. I'm almost tempted. Well, actually, if I go off, then then you guys, the show will disappear. I'm a bit of a mystery right now what to do, to be honest with you. Let me turn. Cough. I just turned my mic off to see what happened. What happened? Um, um, all right. Well, I'll tell you what. Right, well, you go ahead, because um, uh, I don't. I want to continue, continue, obviously, with the pod. Obviously so, the pod. so uh, Paul, I'm going to go ahead and continue. I'm see if I can figure out on my end. Paul, go ahead. Miguel, tell us just a little bit about those years at Duke when you were presumably disconnected from racing to a degree and a. Quote regular college student. Tell us about your experience. Hey, you. hey Paul, I got it. I got it. They, they said there's a bad echo everywhere. I have no idea what's going on, guys. Um, start over. Well, I can. Um, okay, I'll tell you what. Yeah, we still have the. Well, I don't know if I can actually restart the broadcast. This is a. <laughs> Miguel, this is this has never happened before. This is a bit of a nightmare here. Um, I really don't know what to do. Um, um, I, I can, I, I, can I can create another can create show another and just send it out to you guys. you guys. The problem is the, the public is won't really be able to see it right away. That's the problem. That's the problem. 
Um, I'll um, tell you what, I'm going to unhook my microphone, guys. Um, everyone, uh, everyone, I'll tell you, everyone, I'll at, home, everyone at home, be patient. Be I'm going to take, take these guys off the screen. Off the screen. We'll be back we'll in be just back one back minute. I apologize, I apologize to everyone. everyone. I'm going to go ahead and, go ahead and uh, create, uh, create uh, a background. background. And uh, we'll and be back, we'll everyone, back in everyone, just in just a few minutes. Greatly apologize. We'll see if we can figure this out. We'll be right back. Right back. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. We're going to see if this works better. I am fine. I do not hear an echo right now. Again, I greatly apologize to everyone who's watching live. That's the beauty of live TV. Um, I don't hear an echo when I'm talking. So um, those of you at home, if you hear an echo right now, if you could let us know, again, I greatly appreciate it and apologize for the technical difficulties. But if you're watching, we know we have people watching live. If you're watching right now, um, and if, let me know if you hear an echo. Um, someone suggested that Miguel needs headphones. Um, let me bring Paul back on because, and Paul, when, when you came on, there wasn't a problem. So let me, let me check with Paul here, here. Hey, Paul, how you doing? Good. Okay. So you and I are fine. So I think the problem is on Miguel's end. So let me go ahead and switch the uh, background here. Um, so Miguel looks like went to maybe get some headphones. It looks like Paul. Again, this is the uh, HHA Raising Podcast, the very adventuresome episode uh, three of All About Adelphi. Not exactly getting off. Hopefully, uh, the Clement Barnes horses will get out of the gate a little better than this show does, Paul. But um, I can see Miguel, everyone, is, is going to try to buy some headphones. So we'll see if that works. Paul, go ahead and talk again. Make sure you're okay. I'm here. Okay. So... Everything seems fine with you and I, Paul. So perhaps it was just uh, Miguel. While we're waiting for Miguel, uh, Miguel to hopefully uh, get some headphones, Paul, there's some big news from the Travers. Let's talk about that very quickly. And it's really unfortunate news. I am seriously bummed. I believe it was uh, announced maybe Saturday morning. Um, Chancet, who, or excuse me, Chargent, who missed his work 
on Saturday. I think it was actually announced Sunday. And Pletcher didn't quite say exactly. I believe it's a foot abscess, if I recall. They can't get it quite in time for a workout. And so charge it for Pletcher, Paul, is out of the Travers, correct? Yeah. And you know, Howard, he was, I saw him projected as low as the second choice. So he was going to take a lot of money. You know, I, I thought he had a pretty good chance too, although I suspect he was probably going to be over bet based on what I was reading. But, uh, you know, you, you really hate to, you, you just hate to see that. Pletcher said, and, and you know, I'm sure Miguel and, and Christoph can relate to this. It's just the timing is just not good. If the race were three or four days later, they probably could have made it. But, you know, when you're going into a, a grade one race at a mile and a quarter with a three-year-old, obviously it's got to be all systems go. And uh, they're going to now point to the Pennsylvania Derby on September 24th. Okay. Actually, I think that's a good spot for them. And they're going to be very tough there. Uh, speaking of a Pletcher horse, actually that sort of answers my question in my next question directly is I want to bring up the Alabama and Ness. Again, for those of you watching uh, this is the host, Howard Kravitz, along with co-host Paul Howard. And we had some technical difficulties. We do have Miguel Clement, who was on, um, I believe, we're, we're trying to work out the technical difficulties with Miguel. Um, he's just going to grab some headphones. So, again, if you are a partner for Adelphi Racing Club and you're new to the show, Paul can verify this almost never, actually the first time this has ever happened, we've had this much of a technical difficulty from our guest. But, again, uh, Miguel Clement, hopefully we will have here on. Um, any moment is we're trying to work out the sound issue um, with Miguel and he's going to grab some headphones. But Paul, I thought Nest was, I mean, what can you say? It was absolutely unbelievable in the Alabama. And the, what I was leading to, Paul, was maybe Nest going to the Pennsylvania Derby. But now with Charger going there, I'm assuming um, Nest will pick a spot for the girls again, Paul, I, I would guess, right? You know, it's going to be interesting, Howard. You know, in the last, the first Breeders' Cup future that came out a few weeks ago, I almost made a wager on Nest in case, in case yeah. this happened, that she dominated the Alabama and they might think, you know what, she ran second in the Belmont and Mo Donegal would have been probably a solid second choice in this Travers, right? And she finished yeah. second to him. You just got to wonder, you know, remember Mike Rapoli is in on the ownership group and Mike is not afraid to take a big swing. So it will be interesting to see what happens next and then what happens after next. I, I'm going to guess that they're going to stick with, you know, in the Breed at least in the Breeders' Cup, I'm assuming they're going to stick with the distaff. But you can make a strong Probably. argument. Yeah, two things. One um, she got a 104 buyer. Is that good enough to win the classic? Probably not. Is it good enough to maybe hit the board in the classic? I don't see why not. That's very possible. As it looks like Miguel's about ready to come on here, guys. Um, but uh, I, let's go. I don't want to waste too much time. I know uh, Miguel has. Uh, Howard, you know what I was going to say is just make sure if he had the regular YouTube on a different screen, that would also explain it. So just make sure he's only okay, on the well, screen. He's not, he, he said he said he's not. So let's, let's oh, try good. Miguel one more time. He's got some headphones on. Miguel, let's try it now. How are you? Good. How are you? Ah, we're Chris, good. Okay. Cl good clearly, cl clearly, Christoph solved this problem, Miguel. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure he's the tech. He's the tech guru of the barn, right, Miguel? Yeah, right. The other day, he was calling me via FaceTime, not knowing how to end the call. It was me and like seven other guys. That's By the okay. way, shout out, 
Shout out to Matt Miller, Paul, who suggested in the in the uh, chat. We've we've had this problem before. Chat, put that in the back of our mind, Paul. That when we have yep. that feedback, it's because they need headphones. So let's just yeah. try to remember that. All right, Miguel, we were talking about uh, Duke, and you had going as a horse trainer. You had way before college. You had that in your mind, correct? Correct. That was the family rule. Had to go to university. Nothing to do with horses. And um, if I still want to pursue horses, that would be uh, the path afterwards. But four years at university. And, um, and that's what the path we took. Could you tell us how you selected Duke, Miguel? It's a good school academic. Um, I'd say. <laughs> it had nothing to do with horses. That's what the family approved. And um, actually, I liked it a lot. I played there early. Uh, I loved it. Yeah, it's a fantastic. I've never been, but I've heard a lot of great things. I hear they play a little college basketball there as well, from what I understand. But uh, I'm not sure if you were a big sports fan there or not. But probably hard not to be, at least of the college basketball team. Were were, were you were you one of the, uh, the the Duke crazies there in the uh, you know waving your hands behind the behind the uh, the Cameron crazy? No. <laughs> yeah, no. Unfortunately, you won't believe this, but I brought my mom to uh, my mom and my dad to a couple of games, and. Uh, I thought I was a good fan until I saw my mom at a game, and that was a bit awkward. She's a passionate <laughs> fan. She, uh, so I got her two tickets that. to sit up stop, and so my mom wanted to go in the student section. So there's my mom chanting, you know, profanities, has the car keys, telling them to drive wow. home safely, waving at them. I mean, uh, it, it was a bit awkward. I, I didn't know I how I felt it. about it. And she was passionate into it, and she likes to cheer a lot. So um, it was a good experience, but it was definitely new. It was a new experience. Uh, I didn't expect me and my mom with my mom and all the Cameron crazies, you know, with face paint and such. That's cool. Well, I just want to tell everyone really quickly, uh, Miguel, I've had the pleasure of meeting you a few times. I don't know if you remember. You know, I know you meet a lot of people. I met you at Gulfstream for the first time at the Pegasus. And then we, we ran each other, I believe, at the Belmont. And uh, and then last month, I started, I waved through the paddock. You looked at me. You probably didn't know who I was. But you were just walking horse through the paddock a month ago. And I just sort of shout out your name. And you looked at me probably like just another crazy fan. But uh, no, just me, I'm Delphi partner. But uh, Miguel, let's talk about, Let's talk about your time at Darley um, and in Newmarket. Two two really exciting opportunities you had before you uh, became an assistant trainer with your father. Let's talk about so Darley first. The the thought project was I was still in school. Um, before I had any sort of like uh, obligations or responsibilities, if there's ever time to travel, it would probably be right then and there. So it was inevitable I was going to travel. And um, the Flank Start was a great program. You could see all facets of their operation. I never worked on a stud farm previously, for example. There's many aspects I never attended to, the breeding industry. In my mind, the two-year-olds pop up to you. They, were, they arrive at zero length. They come up to you as a two-year-old, and that's when they, their existence begins. But in fact, there's like a big, you know, a, there's many things that take place beforehand. So it was a nice experience, it, obviously. And um, I loved it. You got to see everything. I was fortunate to work with some of the best around all the world. And I could not recommend the program strongly enough, to be honest with you. Uh, I loved it. You get to see everyone. You get to expose, and whatever you put in the program is what you get out of it. And um, it was an opportunity of a lifetime. And then you go to uh, Newmarket with Hugo Palmer. That had to be an incredible experience. Uh, it was a fantastic experience. He had a spectacular year. I was there for two years, I believe, and um, he had a spectacular season. And it was great. He had one year was not so good, and one year was spectacular. And it, it was a roller coaster, roller coaster of emotions. You can see, you know, the, the ups, the downs, and you learn just as much from having a successful team as you have maybe with an unsuccessful season as well. Um, you you learn a lot. You learn what you know. You always learn. It's uh, and especially in this industry, there are ups and downs, and you try to remain as consistent as possible. 
it's not simple, but um, no matter what, you need to learn, learn and move forward. Uh, what was there something that in New Market that, that surprised you in there? I, obviously, you learned a lot about the way that Europeans uh, train their horses through your father. But was there anything there specifically that surprised you or really, you know, stuck out with you in terms of training methods that you now bring back uh, here, you know, along with your father? Yeah, without a doubt, there's always things you can learn. When you are working in Australia, when working in, you know, South Africa, when working uh, in Europe, there's always things you could you, you approach. Yeah, there's training regimes, whether it's medication oriented, communication with the owners, the way they do blood stock or purchases. There's always different facets of the operation you could always improve upon and learn. Some you can replicate in the States, some you can't replicate in the States. Of course. Um, it's, uh, it's interesting. You just have to learn as much as you can. And some you like to model, and sometimes, you know, it's, uh, it's a question of give and take. But um, uh, there's always things you can learn. There, there's many things that, you know, some things I think we do better, for instance, in the States. Some I believe that they do better in Europe. There's plenty, plenty, plenty to learn always. Uh, Paul, do you have a question either relating to the topic on the bottom or anything you want to piggyback off of? Yeah, I, I wanted to talk to Miguel just a little bit about starting out when you first went to work for, for your father and how your role has evolved and uh, in, in, increased uh, over the years. You're obviously very prominent now. Um, tell us a little bit about uh, the evolution of you and your experience working with your dad. The evolution of me working with my dad. Well, I like to think I was always a member, even when I was back in you know middle school or high school. I was working for him in the summers. I was always heavily involved, and I always had a very strong opinion, even if uh, I wasn't a full-time employee of the stable. Um, and when I was a child, the worst punishment you could give me was probably grounding me from the races. You know, that's what a serious consequence. It means I really messed up if I was not allowed to go to the barn or to the races over the weekend. And um, and I was lucky. I was very fortunate. My father has been very successful for many years, his entire operation many years before me, before I joined full time. And I was just lucky to join a very good team, which makes your job much easier in charge of uh, the second operation because um, he had a successful team in place, hardworking, devoted, very successful team. Uh, he's got Christoph Lario has been his main assistant for about 30 years. He's been in the other operation. So it just made the transition very easy for me. Uh, I didn't have to do much, to be honest with you. I just inherited a very good team. So I was very lucky in that way. Miguel, have you found that over the years, I mean, obviously, you're, you know, you always had respect for your father and vice versa, but over the years, you feel like you've a little more say in the operation that he allows you to, you know, do more things, you know, year after year. And, and you're, you know, as a trainer, you're progressing so that when you go out on your own, whenever the time may be, you'll be uh, fully right for that. Yeah, there's two rules of the stable. Rule number one is the boss is always right. And rule number two is always to revert back to rule number one. So, um, but he's very open-minded. He always asks me to explain whenever I disagree with him, opinions and such. He's very open-minded. He may not agree with me. He may continue to do his own path. Sometimes I do convince him otherwise. Sometimes he agrees and lets me take a gamble. Um, but it's never an exact science, which makes it interesting. Sometimes they'll explain me why he does a certain thing a certain way or why he disagrees. And I'll disagree or agree or you'll convince me otherwise. But at the end of the day, he's the boss. And um, but he, he gives me my fair share of say, it's, which is pleasant. You know, there's um, since it's, an, you know, it's never an exact science. There's uh, a lot of room for interpretation. You know, it's a bit like an art. It's very tough to say what is right or what is wrong. It's more um, it's the way basically how they run at the end of the day. Well, and you that's guys, really you. I was going to say, Miguel, that's all you could really ask for in any job, right? Whether it's your father or just any any bosses that he gives you a chance to have input, and sometimes he's going to take it, and sometimes he's 
he's going to make his own decision, but you want to feel as if you're being heard, and it certainly sounds like you're more than being heard. Yeah, no, listen, it's been a very successful team. I think the same could be said with Christophe Floriel back at Belmont. It's um, We all have the same ambition. We all have the same aspiration, the same dream, the same focus, and we all want the same results. So I suppose it is very much a team working for uh, – you know, for for betterment of the disabled. It's not like a individual sport where we all hope to do uh, our own achievements. No, whatever we achieve as a stable does better for the stable. So it's a, it's inevitable. We all try to have the same aspiration and the same goal, which is to produce as many winners as you can, give them the best career they could possibly have, and everything to get to that point. Well, you guys have sure had a lot of success. I believe finished second in the standings at Belmont. I had a, had a great meet there, having continuing on with a great meet. At Saratoga, of course, your father was up uh, uh, for a Hall of Fame uh, nomination, uh, did not get in, unfortunately, but uh, I'm sure he will be getting in soon because that would be a well, well-deserved uh, honor that I think we all look forward to. Miguel, let's talk a little bit. We have a lot of people, of course, uh, the name of the show is, uh, obviously, it's the Racing Podcast, HHH, but this is all about Adelphi Episode 3. We have a lot of partners from Adelphi uh, watching, and we have several horses that, uh, the Clement Barn uh, trains for Adelphi Racing Club. Let's talk a little bit about the racing club specifically. Uh, first, I want to talk about Matt Cuter. Um, wh- how did you meet uh, Matt? And talk about your relationship with a managing uh, a partner, Matt, a founder, Matt Cuter of the Adelphi Racing Club. So I met Matt via Joe Migliori. He's a very close friend of mine. And um, from Joe was the, on the get-go. Show. He's been on the show. I think episode Who's... one of our uh, of All About Delphi, I believe. Yeah, I hope he spoke about me, and I sp- hope he spoke about me well. If not, if you tell me, and I'll I'll say a few Actually, I think stories I said you were a jerk, and you, we shouldn't have you on. But, you, know, you, know, you, you know Joe. Uh, no, Joe, just a lot of nice things. He, he was fantastic. Joe's awesome, as you are well aware of. Yeah, I wouldn't exaggerate now, but that's okay. Um, no, listen, he's a very close friend of mine. He introduced me to Matt Kater, and uh, Matt's been with the stables now for two years. I'm disappointed it only took you know this summer to have his first winner with us took way too long for the whole Adelphi group. Nevertheless, um, it's been fun. He's very involved. He loves it. And uh, as long as someone loves the game, that's all that matters, fundamentally speaking. When you uh, when you love the game, it makes it a lot easier to train for someone when they love the sport. And you work with many different partnerships. Can you talk about how, uh, you know, Matt's a pretty easygoing guy, just some of the positives. Uh, if there are negatives, feel free. But, you know, some, some of the wonderful things that you enjoy working with the Adelphi Racing Club and Matt. No, it's good. You have lots of great partners. It's um, it's a lot of fun. They love to win. I mean, every partnership loves to win. Who does not like to win in this industry? Let's not kid ourselves. And um, no, it's easy to speak to them. I speak to, yeah. for instance, uh, Matt on an everyday daily basis. I've got actually a WhatsApp group with uh, Matt and Joe Migliori, which is basically 90% banter, 8% intellectual, smart thinking about horses, <laughs> and 2% of mocking Joe. So that's pretty much uh, the percentage breakdown. And, I think we need um, to boost up that percent of mocking Joe a little bit, but I'll, I'll leave that between the three of you. Yeah, no, it's uh, Matt's usually the referee in the in the banter and who we can mock, so he's the one in charge. And um, no, it's fun. It's it's easy, the very hands-off approach. In terms of training, you do everything you think that needs to be done. The horse always goes first, which is pleasant and is always um, required. And um, I believe the communication has been rather good on both sides, to be honest with you. So uh, there are some horses that you see on the bottom of the screen there. Uh, Community Justed, of course, is the horse that uh, won. Came back and run a good third, I believe, at, at Saratoga. Let's talk about the second horse 
on that screen. I have some personal interest in this horse because myself and my brother have a, a fairly decent sized piece of this horse. I'm going to go ahead and bring a picture. I was able to see Magistrate, who is a, a two-year-old at the in-front training center, which, boy, Miguel, that was a really cool place. I was really impressed with that. That's sort of that an indoor sort of, you know, training, uh, training track they have also, which I thought is really cool. Let me go ahead and bring up a picture of Magistrate on the screen. For those of you, let me take this down. I'll go full screen there. There's Magistrate. This is a two-year-old uh, by Taprit out of the distorted humor, American-centric spinster. Um, this horse has grown a lot. Miguel, I saw Magistrate for the first time. Uh, in at Ocala at the Kinsman Farm down in December. It was the first time I actually got a chance to see him. And this picture doesn't really do it justice. He's really starting to fill out and grow nicely. Uh, what what do you think of Magistrate from what you've heard or what you've seen and his prospects going forward? So I speak to Mike uh, Shredder at Infront Training Center once a week, um, actually twice a week. And um, he's pleased with him. He's a big boy. When I had him here at Saratoga, he was one of my biggest two-year-olds, and he was still growing. Um, he needs time. He's not an early precocious two-year-old. He's not going to run five furlongs or six furlongs. Whatever surface he runs at will be definitely long. He's got plenty of substance, plenty of weight, plenty of size. Longer the better. Just needs some time to mature into himself. It's um, it's all good. It's too tough, too early to tell to be critical or to have any strong opinion on him. Sure. And um, there's many horses that fall in that frame. You just hope that as you train them, that the penny clicks and that he shows more speed and you know more athleticism but at this time and stage you, you can't judge it he's just too big to have an opinion it's like having the tallest kid at the you know the third grade they're not most necessarily the most athletic just give it time to develop himself he's still growing and still growing into his frame so it's too tough to be um, critical or to assess him yeah of course Tappert won the Belmont was great on dirt but you know the, uh, it's hard to tell if he might be a little bit turf he's got a little turf influence I mean it's probably early to tell he's training on both I believe is that correct that is correct, and if he's turf, you blame Joe Migliori because I believe he purchased the horse, you know? <laughs> okay. Uh, Paul, I don't mean to be stealing your thunder. You have some questions. I just want to make sure we involved the Adelphi Racing Club. They've got a Gotham Gray, better uh, lucky than good. There's a flatter Philly, and just bought some two-year-olds at the New York uh, sale. Miguel, as you're well aware of, they're going to your uh, your barn uh, eventually, your father's barn, I should say, and your barn. Uh, yeah, I believe they well, bought a right? yearling. A yearling by Arrogate that comes out of a family that we're very familiar with. I believe it's um, out of Kitty Panda, who we also trained. Yes. And in that family, I believe you have uh, Akalina. Akalina then produced Reno Tesoro, who's a grade one runner-up or winner in Japan. And then you also have the likes of Gardner Malibu, who dad trained as well as, you know, ran fourth in the Belmont Stakes, but he just yeah. missed the Jim Dandy, and he ran, like, some proper good dirt races and some bigger races we had here. I think he ran fifth, beating 17 lengths in the Travers. But to be fair, he was only two lengths off being second because Arrogate won that year where he destroyed <laughs> all of us. Yeah. Um, and that family as well. you got plenty of good ones that we actually train in the family. So we're actually quite pleased with this one. It's actually one of my dad's favorites ones in the New York Red Sale. So we're happy to get him. Terrific. Paul? Hey, Miguel, you're uh, talking about partnerships. Uh, I, I think it's probably changed the dynamic, I would think, as far as communication goes with you know, obviously owners have always been interested in how their horses are doing, but it seems like now, and, and I've involved in a very small way with a couple of Zilla horses, so I'm a little familiar with it, that it really puts the onus on, on you guys, and, and you do a great job at it, at, of making sure that 
everyone's in the loop. You mentioned you speak to Mike Schrader at the at the farm twice a week, and I'm sure you're speaking to owners on a regular basis. Well, has that dynamic changed a little bit with more partners involved in in some of these horses? Yeah, without a doubt. And then you have to adapt. In, in our industry, if you kept training, and if you kept doing the same thing every day, you'll quickly be outdated. Um, you can look at trainers who are very good in the 80s and 90s that are not the same level now. You can look at, um, it's very tough to stay at the top of the profession and uh, you always have to adapt. So communication is one of them. We have to adapt. It's inevitable. Back in the day, or for instance, many horses were owned by one individual, made it easier. Now you have many partnerships. So I'd say more than half of our horses are owned in partnership and you have to adapt. For instance, we do lots of WhatsApp groups with owners for certain horse ownership, it makes it easier. So you send a picture, upload, and the quality of the videos, and you know, it's perfect. It's being internet-based, it um, it varies. It varies. It varies what the uh, ownership needs and requires. Sometimes it's uh, you always have to adapt. It's just communication on both sides makes it easier. It's what the expectations are, what they would like to know. You have other owners that prefer just to know like uh, entries or problems, and except for that, no news is good news. It's fine as well. It just varies. Miguel, let's talk a little bit about some of the current horses you guys have, and and and, and a little just trip down very quick trip down memory lane with the uh, Clement stable. Uh, let, let's talk about Big Invasion. I am just super excited about this horse. I'm sure you guys are also. For those people that are not haven't been watching Saratoga or in detail, uh, is that we're going to bring up uh, a, a replay of the Mahoney here. Uh, without sound, Miguel, and you can talk through it. Uh, for those who are not aware, please talk about the horse, Big Invasion, and, and what kind of year he's having and plans going forward with this super talented horse on turf. Yeah, no, he's very special. He's um, he's a freak. He's uh, If you believe in rags, he paired up his seven rag from his last start again in the last race, which is freakish for a three-year-old. Um, as a two-year-old, we thought it was one of our best ones. Here when you're watching the replay, I was a little bit worried with Joel. I thought he gave him a little bit yeah, too much so to do. Yeah, so was I. I was like, why are you yeah. so far back? Miguel? We were a bit behind. But he was very confident. He wanted to teach him how to be settled. He wanted to teach him because sometimes he could be a bit strong. And today, that day, for instance, he settled beautifully. He didn't move. He wasn't keen. He was very professional. He came out. I didn't think we are going to be able to get up. And the fact that he got up in the last 16th effortlessly <laughs> with Joel never riding much, well, I thought visually incredibly impressive. Um I mean, he's wow. just different class. Uh, he's a lot of fun to train. He's by Declaration of War. I think we've trained six or seven of Declaration of Wars. Three of them have gone on, to, or two of them have gone on to be Grid One winners. Uh, Big Invasion might be the third if we get lucky. And um, oh, he's different class. He's just a special horse. Now I know, um, you know, your dad tends to be a little more on the conservative side. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I as a handicapper and just a fan, Miguel, I'd love to see this horse in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. I think five and a half. Hits this horse right between the eyes. It's not easy as a three-year-old to step up versus older. But uh, are there any? Are you guys Breeders' Cup dreaming, or are you gonna, you know, you know, wait till maybe next year for that? Uh, you know, God willing, if he's healthy. Uh, no, the boss is not conservative. He's realistic, but uh, okay. he's Sorry, good. I didn't he's mean good. To be, the Breeders' Cup bad word necessarily. The, the Breeders' Cup. Patient. The Breeders' Cup is very patient. much on the not horizon. So, so the. Yeah, but you develop them, you make them last longer by doing so. I know Absolutely. people like to throw them sometimes at the deep end, but look at the Kentucky Derby Trail. How many times those good horses have been uh, ruined? If I write down a list by January time, your 23rd for the Kentucky Derby, 15 of those 20, I bet you, are not running in July and July time. And, um, and I bet you not even less than a handful of them would be running as good four-year-olds. So you have to be patient. The horse always has to come first. As much as it's tough, 
many times we forego some big you know dreams or aspirations just for the sake of the horse's career some could take it some can't uh, big invasion without a doubt the British cups on the horizon we All don't right. like the fact that it's at Kentucky just because I believe he's a horse who excels on firm turf if it was at California this year I'd be more bullish about his chances than Kentucky we have to train for him for it and um, just hope that we get lucky with the weather it's a little bit out of our control the big question is do we run him once at Kentucky Downs before or do we train them straight for the British Cup? So that is right now an ongoing discussion that we'll have with Mr. Reeves. But um, it's all good. He's very good. He's definitely, ability-wise, I wouldn't be scared of any of the older horses to take them on if we get a firm turf course. I'm just more worried about the horse's well-being and, and the turf course more than any opposition. And that turf that, that turf stake at, at uh, Kentucky Downs, I believe it's six, right? It was six and a half. I can't recall. Do you know off the top of your head? I don't know if it takes into account the undulation or not. Yeah, so, it's six, uh, six plus hills. It's six yeah, prologues yeah. plus hills. I, I, I'd be dubious. I, I'm worried about the six and hills for him because he has so much speed. But saying that, he did win very impressively at Belmont going seven eights, you know, in a, yeah. in a rather easy hand ride by Joel. I think when you're that good, you could overcome a lot. It's just you have to look after his well-being. Good horses overcome a tremendous amount. He's overcome everything. He could win a forwardly place as he did at Gulfstream. He can win from off the pace, as he just demonstrated his last race. He can win inside, outside. It doesn't matter. At Churchill, he was stuck on the inside. He was a bit keen, and he was shuffled around and messed around a little bit. But he just went around everyone in three strides. It's just He's a good horse. You just look after him. It's, his, uh, yeah, his turn and foot is, is serious. Paul, before you, I want to sh- I'm going to show uh, the Pizza Bianca and just talk about Pizza Bianca literally for 30 seconds. I hate to be that short Miguel but I know your time is you still have to you have a hard out at about 15 minutes is that correct no no it's okay I can wait I'll I'll push it back don't worry about that that's pizza Bianca behind me and the and the picture right here that's uh she made she made my living room so yeah I would ah beautiful okay well we'll, we'll, I appreciate that because I was going to rush through some things but before we get to pizza Bianca there's a question from I don't know if this is from Matthew you see at the bottom of the screen um the weekly Saratoga cookie deliveries does that put you on top of the list of partnerships for Adelphi Racing Club? <laughs> it definitely helps. They know how to speak to my uh, sweet tooth. <laughs> now, what kind now, of I've got a predicament. Some info on this, it's fan- it's fantastic here? cookies, chocolate chip nuts. I love the cookies. <laughs> Far too kind. Way too generous. I thought I was the only one. I don't know how. Way too many cookies at the barn every time. It's incredibly kind. Actually, I really do like them. My issue <laughs> is I have to find a way to eat them and hide them a little bit. Because otherwise, the stable, if they see my bag, will go for it. <laughs> and um, it's created a vicious cycle. Or if I bring it home, I've got a case has got a bit of a sweet tooth. So it's a bit of a predicament I'm in. So I need to find a way without leaving it in the car so they melt. So I'm working on it. It's, it's not, I was I'm wondering if it for you or for the horses. I was, but, uh, um, and by the way, I just want to also say publicly, I cannot say enough good things about the job that uh, your wonderful wife, Acacia, uh, has been doing, has always been doing, is currently doing. I think it's just, it, you know it's fantastic listening to her uh, on Fox. We had her on the show as well. I believe it was over the winter. Uh, she was fantastic, Miguel. And so I know that uh, you feel very fortunate to have uh, Acacia in your life. Yeah, very much so. I married her, so I hope so. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How the guy's you? already. Oh, and he already has a complex about being the second most famous racing personality in his marriage, and now you're feeding into that. <laughs> well, I, I did I did see a picture where it looked like you were shying away from her a little bit. No, that was great. No, no, Miguel, knows, Miguel, first of all, knows I'm joking, number one, and he does know the picture. I think it was on Twitter that I'm referring to. What, I don't know. I do not have the picture, Miguel. But do you Yeah, know I was embarrassing. It was not my that? best moment. She went to give me a kiss or two and after the race, and I don't show much public affection. 
and um, and I shied away. Fortunately, there's some news in Saratoga, you know, I think the, the next day that took away the highlights away yeah. from that picture. Yeah. So I guess I suppose I was a bit lucky for that regard. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah well, very quickly, very quickly, Miguel. I, you I, I, you I went from the news. front page to the back page, Miguel. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what news you're referring to, but uh, anyway, shout out to uh, to Acacia. does a great job. Uh, Miguel, let's, let's talk about uh, – I'm sorry, Paul, do you have a quick question? And I'm going to bring up the, 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 the stretch run of Pizza Bianca and the Breeders' Yeah, Cup. no, I was going to get into that about the, the recent oh, success with Gufo and the Sword Dancer last year and, of course, Pizza Bianca and the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf, so. Right, which was – uh, We're, we're going to bring up – we're going to bring up the stretch run or, or about the about – the, uh, about the three-eighths poll of, of the Pizza Bianca replay. Miguel – we don't really have to talk about the specific race as much as just explain the whole amazing experience. Christoph Clement, of course, getting his first Breeders' Cup win, which is crazy because he's such an unbelievable trainer and have to wait that long to get a Breeders' Cup win. It had to be uh, you know, a little bit tough on him and, and the group. But Pizza Bianca came through, and this ride that was given by Jose Ortiz, correct, was just absolutely unbelievable. Girl. We're going to pick this up at a spot where um, you probably weren't too happy, not unhappy with with uh, Jose, but she was sort of in between. Um, I'm going to bring it on right now here. Excuse me. She was sort of like gets in between and sort of had to wait. And Jose was very patient. And when he pressed the button, it was just absolutely unbelievable. Pizza Bianca is right here on the one. Go ahead, Miguel. Yeah, I'm not sure how we were finding ourselves three wide being from post one on the first turn and second turn. Yeah. We're a bit maybe further back than I thought we would have been. So a bit worried. But she always demonstrated she had a good turn of foot. She ran only twice before. She won very impressively at Saratoga, her maiden. And her second start, she ran second in the Natalma against a good Godolphin filly. So she always demonstrated a very good turn of foot. But this day, it surprised me because I didn't think she was against these types of fillies. We were able to catch them so quickly. You know, the filly on the front end. When she did, when, when he split, did you think that he had enough time to get the filly there? Not sure. But, you know, it's a very good field. Um, Cachet on the front end trained by George Bowie, who also worked with me at Hugo Palmer's. He was the other pupil assistant then. He, um, she's, she went on to do very big things this year. Um, you know, the English guineas she won. The feeling on the outside is Haughty, who just won the Lake Placid there in the green. And um, the feeling on the rail is a very good French filly as well. So, I mean, one, two, three, four are top-class fillies. There's, uh, it was a very good race on form. And, um, and time showed it as well. I believe that from that race, you had a tremendous amount of greatest stakes and group winners that came from that race already. It's a very good field. Jose gave a brilliant ride and deserves a tremendous amount of credits. Uh, not many jocks would have stayed in, be patient, and ride for luck, hoping for a gap. And I'm not sure if she gets the job done or not to be swings her out six, seven, eight wide. Um, she was ready to run, but I think a tremendous amount of credit goes to, obviously, Jose, as well as Mr. Flay. Mr. Flay is willing to take a chance, and um, he deserves a tremendous amount of credit. He obviously breeds tremendous racehorses. Uh, you have Pizza Bianca. Uh, he also bred, you know, first captain. He's running, you know, I believe on the in the jockey club here at Saratoga. Yeah. He's uh, he's got high-end blood stock, and um, he's doing a heck of a job. Well, you guys did a great job getting getting her ready, and I was super ecstatic uh, for you guys to get that win. Paul, you want to bring mention a few others? Of course, there's a lot of talented horses in the stable. You already mentioned Gufo and others. Do you have a question regarding some of the others? Yeah, well, I, I, I did cover the Sword Dancer last year, uh, Miguel. In fact, you were good enough to connect me with uh, Stephen uh, Kanani's number. I had to follow up with him after the fact. Terrific, terrific guy. But uh, talk a little bit about that horse. He had won that race. He's that doesn't seem like he's found his stride yet this year. Where, where is he at? Is he running no, again? I don't know. It's a bit tough. He's doing very well. 
He was impressive at Gulfstream. He won very impressively. He wasn't 100% ready. Then we ran in the Man Awards. A bit unlucky. He beat Yabir, but we didn't quite catch the horse on the front end. Um, I mean, the Manhattan was a touch unlucky. Maybe we were a bit further back than we would have liked, but he ran well. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a touch short for him. And then the United Nations, it was... Um, we learned from that race. I think he was like 16, 17 lengths, you know, off of them at the backside, yeah. and he made up 15 lengths to only get beat two lengths. You know, he showed a demonstrating, a devastating turn of foot. It's just, you know, too much, too late. Plus, I'm not sure if Mama suits him. You know, short stretch, tight turns, very speed favoring. We live and learn, and um, and now we're going for the sword dancer. We have Joel back in the irons. Uh, blinkers on. Uh, oh, interesting. He went blinkers on last year. He went okay. Blinkers back on this year. He didn't need it at the beginning of the year because he was very much into the race. Right. Uh, I think his last two starts, he was further back than we would have liked. His last start especially, it was too tough for Joel to stay within the tact of the field. And once he got going, it was just too late, even if he ran, I think, a very good race. If you look at the stretch, he made up like eight or nine lengths in the mammoth stretch, which is very tough to do. Um, blinkers on. We hope that keeps him within contention of the field. He's training very well. He had three or four good works on the grass here at Saratoga. He's fit. He looks well. He's sound. He's happy. Yeah, kick on. I'm bullish about his chances, to be honest with you. And no, no, you beer. I guess fortunately for you guys, but I, I suppose you could say unfortunately for the betting pub because he's just a, he's a great horse. But uh, I'm sure there'll be Tribuvan and a lot of other really nice horses uh, in the sword dance. So I've not seen entries yet uh, for that race. Are you aware who's going, uh, Miguel? Yet? I believe that's... Broom is coming for Aiden O'Brien. Oh, he's wow. a very good horse. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I hope he's not coming, but unfortunately, I think he is making the trip. Okay. Uh, Chad's running two, I think, maybe potentially three between Trebuvin. Um He's got, you know, the one, two of the Manowar, or the Manhattan, as well as, I don't know if the second from the United Nations is coming back, which is the same as the second from the Manhattan, which is that Amos. Okay. Um, Rock Emperor, I believe, is coming back as well. It's, um, oh, it's going to be a good race. We also oh. have another horse in the race, I believe. We're considering it was Soldier Rising. You know, he was a very good horse. Last year, he ran second to your yeah. beer and stayed to play. It's, uh, it was a very good horse. He had a good, nice win here at Saratoga the other day. And mm-hmm. um, he's training well. You have to, it's ambitious, it sounds, but it's time to be ambitious. Miguel, it sounds like you guys think, though, he does, he can be a little closer and still, you know, and still maintain that kick that he doesn't have to come from that far back. Or am I reading into No, listen, it doesn't matter how you read into it, to be completely honest, because as much as you and I read into it, it's kind of in Joel's hands. So, I mean, yeah. it's uh, it's as much as we can do. We put the blinkers on, hoping to get Joel a bit closer. Um, I'm hoping it does. Joel seems to think so in the mornings from his works. But he's a very good rider, and it's whatever Joel wants to do. Let's keep things simple. It's up to Joel. I would love for him to be closer to the field. Instead of having to make up, you know, 15 lengths in the backside, if we're within like five, six, seven lengths, of course we'd make it easier for him. Right. Um, it's up to Joel. It's up to Joel and Goofo, I suppose. That's the fortunate and thing. Is we only have to train them, and then they have to figure it out on race day. Joel is feeling better, we assume. I know he missed last weekend. I sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Miguel, by the way, next time next time you get a, a, a nice price home in a grade three like the uh, Forbidden Apple this year with the City Man, you got to you gotta send out a tip to Guterre and let me know or something because <laughs> congratulations. On That's amazing. Man. You, can you believe that Matt, Matt did not tell you the tip? I told him it was a certainty. <laughs> really, I'm going to have to get Kutera on the phone uh, for that one. But uh, anyway, you guys have had many other stake successes. Paul, before we get to the 10 minutes to post segment and close yeah. out uh, the show, do you have any other quick questions for Miguel? No, just you know, I want you guys had a tremendous Belmont meet, as Howard said. And, you know, you, I think you have 11 wins at Saratoga and, 
you know, there's some coming off that Belmont meet and Saratoga being so tough. People say, well, they're not doing as well, but you're still you're number five on the list. So yeah, I just guess wait, it's a just wait, just wait two more weeks because we have plenty yeah. of runners the next two weeks. I'm very bullish about our chances this week. I think we're running like just say, five or six a, stakes. I really like. So I'll be surprised if we don't end in the top three. To be honest, I was going to oh, say it's a testament like it. though to you guys that there may be a perception that you're not having a tremendous meet, but you're number five in the standings in the toughest the toughest meet there is. Yeah, I hope we don't finish five. To be honest with you, I'd be a bit disappointed if we're not in the top three. To be honest, but um. Listen, Dad has always liked to win races no matter where you get a chance to win. A lot of our owners, for instance, um, surprised them. Then the last two weeks of Belmont Meet, we ran a lot. Uh, Community Adjusted, for instance, broke her either then at the last uh, week or so at the meet. It's um, When they're doing well, run. It's not complicated things. Between race days, entries, weather, how the horse is going, so many factors go in. So you've got the opportunity to run the last three weeks of Belmont. We're very firm to be aggressive and go for it. I know a lot of people wait for Saratoga. They save them for Saratoga. They keep their conditions for Saratoga. They do everything they can just to win and to race well at Saratoga. Uh, for me, New York's New York. If you can win in May, June, July, it doesn't matter if it's at Belmont or Saratoga or even Aqueduct. Whenever you have an opportunity to go for it, you need to go for it. It's too tough not to win. And I don't think you should save for one meet per se. I know a lot of people differentiate that with us, but... um different that uh, i disagree it's so tough to win in new york we have an opportunity to go for it um uh, even now in the last two weeks of saratoga we ran a lot the last two weeks of belmont so that's where we're a bit slow maybe you could say by your standards in the first few weeks of saratoga but we're going to be very live the next two weeks and um even now you can see in the entry box we have more opportunities to run because less people are entering with kentucky downs taking place right you know right next door uh, yeah. i disagree horses are here to run if they're doing well you run one in debt you run them again and owners love it. So what if they don't run their repeat performance? Big Invasion ran at four weeks. If you look at the speed ratings, he ran a seven when he won at Saratoga in the beginning of the meet. I think it was the quick call. Many people say don't run him back quickly. It's a very strong number. It's very quick. It's going to bounce. So what if he bounces? If he's that good, he'll win anyway. And even if he aggresses one or two or three lengths, it doesn't matter. He'll win. You don't always have to it. run an A race in order to win. And you don't always have to wait five, six, seven weeks. You look at too many horses that are sound that run every six, seven weeks. They're just hoping for the big performance. I, I don't know. I'd much rather run a horse 10 times. You win four races, three seconds, two thirds, than have a horse just run three times in a year and win all three starts. Oh, that's me at least. I, I, we, I think Paul and I completely agree with you. And as, as Absolutely. We definitely would like to see bigger fields. By the way, before we get into our last segment, Miguel, and again, thanks for joining us today. I have a very uh, strong message from Macutere and all the Adelphi uh, partners and club members. This Friday, you mentioned the horses you're running. Uh, this Friday, the second race, there's a maiden New York maiden special on the dirt, six furlongs. You're running two horses in that race. Uh, Can't hurry, love and Valuse. But we have Valuse. a horse called we have, we have a horse called Funny How. So if you want to tell uh, Franco and Rosario to you know take it a little bit easy if you see Funny How out in front, we'd all appreciate it. No, no, I can't. I think we're undefeated against Matt so far and, uh -oh. um, with Adelphi. <laughs> okay. I think we've never lost to him. I'm actually terrified because I think Friday you have a chance. I think your horse, she ran well first time out. I know we ran second. Your filly ran third, but she was a bit troubled on the inside. Ran well, well ridden by Trevor. Yeah. Expected to improve. Um, for my sake, I hope Ray didn't do a good job, but I mean, uh, for your sake, I hope he did. <laughs> and um, I've got two in the race. We'll see. We're running. So, for instance, Voluz, she ran that same race your filly ran last time at Belmont. We ran it right back at Saratoga. She ran third, and we run it right back. She runs every three weeks. I know it's probably not her best performance. If you wanted to have a peak performance, you wait for six, seven yeah. weeks. 
But I mean, she's a filly that we run her every three weeks, and heck, if she's doing well, go for it. It's, she's sound, she's clean, uh, legged, um, happy. Go for it. I, I hope I hope I beat you, but um, that's me. I'm very competitive. I'm very very competitive. Far too competitive. It's not healthy. We hear you. No, we we wish you luck. We we think funny cool. how has has a big shot. Has been training real well. Miguel, uh, we have a very fun segment. We're going to end uh, the show with it. This is going to be really quick, rapid fire, fun questions. The segment is called Ten Minutes to Post. Ten minutes to post. Like I said, Miguel, you can answer these in five seconds, thirty seconds, really up to you. Um, it's a mainly horse racing questions. You'll see them at the bottom of the screen. Again, if you have any questions for Miguel, come on as we end the show here. Ladies and gentlemen watching, we appreciate everyone watching live. Please put those uh, questions in the live chat. We'll try to bring them up for Miguel. Here we go. Uh, Ten very quick questions, Miguel. One, number one, I'll go first, Paul. What was the first moment you fell in love with horses or horse racing? Was there first a moment was probably Honor Glide winning the Sword Dancer. I remember that race vividly. He won the Sword Dancer. Jose Santos rode. I was just a kid, to be honest. I think I was probably five. Um, I loved it. I loved the races. I remember the build-up for the race. My dad, the excitement level he had, training up to him, raising him on the grass with Jose. And um, that was probably my first true memory I could remember start to finish. And uh, I was probably from that age, I knew I was always going to be involved with horses. Terrific. Paul, you have the next question? The best... Horse racing, a most memorable you have ever been at. I'm sure it's a long list for you, Miguel. But no, yeah, listen, there's heck of right, good racing ever around the world. Melbourne Cup in Australia, spectacular. The Arc in France is probably one of the best things there is. Royal Ascot was a lot of fun. I was fortunate enough to work for Hugo Palmer when he won the English Guineas with Galileo Gold, and then won the you know Royal Ascot with Galileo Gold as well at the St James Palace. There's um there's many good memories. I've always got one cherished personally, is because when Tonus won the Belmont Stakes. That was very meaningful for us, considering we're New York-based. And um, for me, the Belmont Stakes would always hold a special meaning in my heart, just because it's uh, for me that's home base. That's home. Yeah, I bet Go I bet Governor Malibu, by the way, that that day and thought he thought he ran big. He just was like tight on the inside. Got a little bit of unfortunate uh, trip. I don't I don't blame the job, but it was just one of those circumstances. Uh, you you don't have to, but I, I I do, so that's okay. Okay, well I'm glad you said it. I blame the jock a little bit, but I want I want I didn't want to put you in an uncomfortable situation. All right, next question: Do you have a favorite type of race, a distance, or service that you you know like to train a horse for, or just like to watch in general? No, no. So back in the day, Dad was you labeled as a, a marathon um, fillies only, you know, long on the grass because the majority of horses we received were from Europe um, 30 years ago or so. And now he's being labeled as a turf sprinter after having Disco Partner, Big Invasion, <laughs> Pure Sensation, and Colts. So, I mean, or New York Reds. I suppose it's good. Whenever you're labeled as something, it means you're doing something well because people think that you're stronger than others in that domain and category. So you should always be labeled as something. So that's always a positive. It's just funny how our stereotype seems to change. Um, as long as you're labeled something, that's always good. But I think a good trainer, they could look after anything. Turf, dirt, two-year-olds, young, older. It's very much the horse you receive is what, you know, determines, I suppose, your label, per se. It's um, I'm very comfortable. I think Dad's very comfortable. The operation has showed we're able to have trilled winners in May. We've done it frequently for years. We're able to win mile-and-a-half races on either dirt or turf. You know, we won the Belmont Stakes. That's a mile-and-a-half. That's not an issue. It's um, dirt, turf, even the all-weather, from two-year-old life in May to even like a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old, nine-year-old, revved up one stakes races for us back in the day when he was even a 10-year-old, you know. So it's... Um, you just have to keep them sound, happy, and get the surface and distance right, and the horses take care of the rest, which is the great thing about our sport. 
Yeah, Paul, the fallacy that like the that Clement uh, Christoph is making like a turf trainer just drives me crazy. I mean, people obviously don't pay attention. Well, it's By it's the not way, fair. Because... If you look at the percentage, if you look at the percentage, just for the record, our percentage is actually one percent higher on dirt than it is turf over the last five years. When they say that, wow, it, it's okay. I, I'd there remind them to look at the percentages once in a while. It's just yeah, the you overwhelming go to the clientele. Get a better price on your dirt our, horse, right? So our right. clientele, unfortunately, sends us more <laughs> turf horses than dirt. So therefore, we're inevitably going to be running more, competing more on the grass than dirt. And it's pretty cool to see the Disco Partner babies uh, on the track. Boy, we see Paul, what a, what an animal he was. Well, what is it? Was it 105 and change in the diaper? 106 and change? I can't remember the time. Like, unbelievable. That one It's year. the world uh, record. So whatever it is, it's still the fastest time. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Uh, Paul? Your best training accomplishment, you and, and the stable. And, uh... and Miguel, this could be a horse that doesn't have to be a, a grade one. This could be a horse that you guys just didn't think would be very good and you turn him or her into a nice allowance horse. Like it doesn't have to be your, 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 the best horse that you guys have had, just your best training accomplishment per se. No, it, it varies. There's some horses I never thought at one moment in time you were able to get them to the races to win soundness wise or ability wise. And you keep working and persevering and they prove it, you know, it, it varies to say best training accomplishment because very well the best training accomplishment should be your best win. But to be honest, it wasn't, um, there, there's horses, you know, for instance, dad ran Mariansky. She won the Sheepshed Bay, grade two. He ran her a week later and won the Justa game. You know, it was soft turf, and he went right back seven days later. Many people would have never done that. Yeah, he did. That was a phenomenal training accomplishment. Um, even now, for instance, it's it's very much per day per horse. So sometimes um, you should be very happy and very proud of a winner you had when the odds were against you, um, either soundness-wise, ability-wise, or taking a chance. That's a firm believer. If a horse is doing well, take a chance. Many times you'll see us running as a big long shot and winning a race. Look at City Man, for instance. If you believe in rags or in buyers that day or in the sheets, we had choice number five or six, but he was training remarkably well. He, he, he actually could be an example of a best training accomplishment. You know, He broke his maiden as a two-year-old at Saratoga, going, I think, uh, five and a half on dirt. Then he won the funny side stakes by four or five lengths. He won stakes races from the age of two, three, four, and now he's a five-year-old. He wants stakes racing from six furlongs on dirt as a two-year-old to, you know, mile and eighth on the grass. He's running on Friday. Uh, I'd be shocked. I'd be very disappointed if he doesn't run well. Actually, it'll be a lot worse than that. I'll be in a very bad mood. So I, for Acacia's sake, I okay. hope he runs very well. He's okay. training lights out. I, I suppose he's an example of a great accomplishment. Keeping a horse happy and sound and winning stakes races every year, regardless of surface or distance. It's um, uh, the ones, I guess, the older horses that you keep sound is the ones you take a lot of pride in because you look after them. Look at Gufo. Gufo's never missed a beat. Um, every time there's a big race, he's always competing. Man of War, Manhattan, a Sword Dancer, Turf Classic. A Dances Cup. every dance, for sure. Dances every dance. If you look at Gio Ponti's career, you know, he won grade ones up to the age of six. He was competing at the highest level from two to six until he was retired. Tonalist never missed a beat as well. If you look at the races he ran, he didn't always necessarily win. But it was one, two, three. Uh, he competed at the highest level and dances every dance. So I suppose... Our biggest accomplishment is, you know, to get them to every dance, to make sure they compete well at the highest level and to make every dance. Uh, Paul, we're going about another 10 minutes. I don't know if you're yep. okay with that. Okay. No, I'm good. I'm good. I know we're going a little past our time because of the uh, tech difficulties. All right. Uh, this next question is mine. The best advice you received as a trainer and from <laughs> whom other than your father? Uh, I learned from many great trainers. I was lucky to work for the likes of uh, Mike DeCock. Um, wow. Work for, I, work, I work for some great individuals. I was very fortunate in that regards. 
you have to always be humble because it's a very humbling sports. I mean, I think we all have to be humble at some point. We all get beat somewhere between 70 to 80% of the time, and that's if you're doing tremendously well. Um, but the best advice is to work hard. As long as you work hard, everything else takes place afterwards, but you have to work hard. There's uh, no shortcuts in this game. If you don't have a strong work ethic, you'll never get there. And uh, I actually have never learned that, you know, per se by some individual telling me. But if you look at a lot of the likes of the best, you know, outfits that are there around the world, they all have one similarity. Some are very hands-on, some are not hands-on. Some are, for instance, very involved with owners. Some do very poor communication with owners. Some, you name it, they, they all differ. But um, there's one common characteristic, and that's uh, hard work and for the love of horses. You have to love the horses, and you have to work hard. So I suppose everyone, I suppose my mom taught me how to work hard back in, you know, back as I was a child. But uh, hard work does it all. As long as you work hard, everything else comes up afterwards. But you have to work hard. Otherwise, this industry, it's too tough. You'll never last. You'll never compete at the highest level. It's too tough to win races in the New York circuit without putting the hours in the work. Because trust me, if you make mistakes, you'll be exposed and they'll quickly find it. And the ones you're competing against, you know, they make very few mistakes, if any, as well. So you have to get it right. Absolutely. I had to ask a question uh, uh, regarding uh, Keisha out of respect to her. So, Paul, this one's for you. <laughs> I think this is a rhetorical question. We know the answer. Do you have time to spend with Acacia on race days? Um, I don't know how to answer this politely. Uh, so on <laughs> race days, let's, let's be honest. Let's be let's be honest. On race days, if I win, I'm in a very good mood. If I get beat, but my horse runs well, I'm usually quite good. To be honest with you, I'm just very upset when they run poorly. Very upset. And um, so Acacia tends to avoid me when they get beat. So, um, so I think actually she doesn't want to spend time with me on race days if I get beat. It's uh, probably safer that way too for our marriage sake. Yeah, Fair enough. Say. Fair Good enough. recipe. Uh, is there a bucket list track? You already mentioned several you've been to or race day event you'd like to attend. You haven't yet, whether it be here in the States or overseas. No, I was lucky. I got to any, any major racing competition at the highest level. There's one, I never made it to Japan. I would love to have been there once for the big day of racing. I was fortunate enough to go to Hong Kong. I was fortunate enough oh, to do Australia, Europe. Happy Valley? Where in Hong Kong were you at? Um, Happy Valley. Um, that looks unbelievable. No, it's it's fantastic. Even in the state, there's some racetracks I've never been to that I've competed a lot at. Just last year is the first time I ever made it to Finger Lakes, believe it or not. Um, <laughs> wow, okay. Uh, you would have never guessed that. But yeah, I went there for uh, for a big stakes race, actually. Um <laughs> It varies. It's just anything. Whenever there's good races, you always want to partake in it. There's nothing per se I really want to do. And if anything, I'm more comfortable being like the hub spot. I suppose Dad feels the same way. You know, staying at home base and then shipping him there. And then um, as long as you do your preparation and all your homework at home, you just keep them taking over and happy wherever you send them to, and they take care of the rest. We got three more questions. Uh, again, Miguel, appreciate your time. This one is uh for paul and i you you'll read the question i don't want to put you in an awkward spot so you'll understand why i say that after uh paul reads the question you have to win one race on the turf for 10 million dollars which jockey not currently riding would you like to take them out that's um so the the safe answer would say jerry bailey because when i was a kid he dominated uh, he was very impressive. He was incredibly smart. He uh, he won a lot. I remember those days. He was very involved. Uh, when I was a child, my favorite jockey was maybe Corey Nakatani because he won us a lot of big races. That's he's amazingly strong in a finish. He's, he's underestimated. 
How if I want to be politically, if I if I want to be politically correct, if I want to be politically correct, I have to say Richard McAleer because he's brilliant and <laughs> you know, he's Joe's father, and also Richard works with Acacia, so that's probably the worst I should be saying right now. Good answer. <laughs> but um, ten million dollars with the jockey not riding. I would have said Ramon Dominguez, but I'm still bitter about the ride we had in the Dubai World Cup, even if I think he was a phenomenal jockey, and I, I do love him as a both a rider and as a human being. I think the world about him. But it would probably be someone that no one thinks about as much, unfortunately, because he's no longer with us, which is tremendously sad. But I would go with uh, Garrett Gomez. Uh, I think when he was right, you know, he had his career with Ron Anderson for the two or three-year span when he was in New York, that he really was a different gear. He won your races that... You know, many of other jockeys would never have won you. And you can be honest about it now. He won us some races I didn't think we should have won. And um, the only reason why we won is because he was a difference maker. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he, his name is brought up on the show a few times. Before I get to our last two questions, it's a question from Kevin B. at the bottom of the screen. Any runners this Saturday on the undercar for the Travers that you want to tout other than Gufo? Yeah, well, listen, we're running, I think, like 13, which is the most we've ever run in our life. Wow. Um, on, on Friday. On Friday, and I think we're going to run like five or six on Travers Day. Wow. Well, the ones I like, I won't lie. If City Man gets beat in the West Point Stakes, I'm pouting. I'm being honest with you right now. Okay. I know he's got I want everyone to write this down. Be ready now. Yeah. City Man, go ahead. I won't interrupt. No, no, it's okay. Sometimes I pout. It does happen. I get it wrong and I pout. <laughs> it's just uh, Acacia has to be aware of it beforehand. Um, and we're running a lot I'm excited and bullish about. On Travers Day, uh, running maybe a Philly for West Point I like a lot called Parnak. She's nice. Uh, the only fear I have is a mile. We're running on either than a mile on the turf. Probably should go in the races a bit further, but she's a touch keen and touch strong. She won a stakes race in Europe at seven and a half furlongs. So that's why we're leaning towards a mile. We might be making a mistake. I'm convinced she might want to stretch. I don't know if it's right for her career today's to try stretching her right now. So we might run her a mile, which is a bit short, but she's training very well. It's um, And then this weekend... Uh, Kinesi is running in the risk of her stakes. She's training rather well. I, I like her. I'd be disappointed if she doesn't put her, you know, a good step forward. Um, but there's a couple of stakes I'm bullish about. Acoustic Ave is a two-year-old that we are uh, fortunate to have that we bought the two-year-old sales. Macklin Music. I think we're running against that Kelly Breen horse, the Frenzy Fire brother, who's very good. Who ran like I think third in the Sanford. So that's not going to be an easy oh, task. Yeah. He should be the heavy favorite. But um, our boy's training well. Um, I'm bullish with his chances. He looks well, training well. He's progressed from the first race. He won for fun. He wasn't really tested. I think he won by like seven lengths his debut. It's um, he should have a he should be tough. There's a very fun filly to train called Tis a Pity. She would be under um, should be any owner's dream. She's not a in terms of ability. She she would never dazzle you. Know she's an A other than New York bred. She runs somewhere between high 65s to low 70 buyers. But she's the most remarkable, consistent filly there is. She she should run well. She's been through uh, many issues that she should have never made it to the races, and she overcomes it all. It just shows you that tough, genuine horses make it through anything. And um, uh, there's some some interesting, you know, we've got some plenty of action. That's why if we're still fifth at the end of the Saratoga meet, I'll be disappointed. I won't lie to you. I'm, I'm bullish about this week. Um, if if it does go badly and we don't get a winner this week, it's fine. It's just Acacia may not want to come home for that week, but except for that, everything else is good. All right. Well, I wish you luck with all those horses this weekend. Two more questions, and we're going to end the show. Paul? Favorite horse not trained by your family, whether he's currently running or retired? Um, oh, it's simple. Ouija board. Ouija board is a very good filly. She was a top race mare. She never missed a beat. She competed all around the world. I think she beat us in a British Cup. Um, 
great. She's top class. She was able to yeah. take on campaigns all around the world, and I love horses that do that. That you know, they don't say as much as I respected Franco. If you ask me, I, I, I like to see the stars more campaign than Franco, just because it was more um, international for me. I, I love horses that you know compete at the highest likes, that travel. Even in the states, you know, they have some great horses that race in New York, some great horses that race in California. Uh, I don't know. The, for me, the horses I love are the ones that take on the world and take on the you know the different journeys and um, they they they're those are the ones that are more meaningful. I think I back in the day, my dad had a filly called Voodoo Dancer. Every three or four weeks, she ran California, she Kentucky, New okay. York. I mean, you name it, it traveled everywhere. Those are the ones. She didn't always necessarily won, but no. she ran at the high level, one, two, three, pretty much in all these big racetracks no. and um, everywhere. We need to run more. Too many times you see good horses running just four, five, six career starts and retiring. It's too. It's not enough. They're racehorses. They're meant to run. and. Um, so what if you don't win? You take a crack at it, be ambitious, and go for it if they're doing well. They need to run I'd at the end love, of the day. They are racehorses. Yeah, I would love to see Baid come here, but I know he's not. But, I mean, that you you mentioned Frankel. He's about the closest thing to Frankel I've seen recently in England. Or, sorry, in, in Europe. Baid, Paul, is, I don't know if you've seen this horse run, is this turn of foot that this horse has. I mean, he absolutely rolled by, a boy, uh, rolled by my boy, Mischief, like Mischief was tied to the pole in the last race, Miguel. I mean, I'm sure you've seen Baid run. That is a I mean, he's the best horse in the world right now. I think rightly so. He's Any horse that has an electric turn of foot like that, when you're at, when your jock asks you, and then within that same stride from the moment you're standstill to when you're being asked, and you just open up lengths like that with an electric turn of foot, it's different class. You very, very rarely see it. But when you do yeah. see it, it's a treat. It's like Jackson Warrior here with Joel. The moment Joel asks him a little bit, you can see he opens up two, three lengths on everyone instantly. When they become push buttons like that, Oh, you could say the same about Big Invasion. The point big is, invasion. push buttons like that are very, very rare, and that's what you hope to see in the mornings. And you wake up every day hoping to find a horse that's a push button. I said, Miguel, can you train? I know I want to ask you. I'm glad you brought that up. But sorry, one before we get to the last question, is that something just pure natural talent, like a Michael Jordan, etc.? Or can you actually train that? Obviously, you want you want to train a horse to be push button and have that acceleration, but. How much of that is training? How much is that just pure athletic ability? And just well, it's very simple. You'll never make a Saturn into a Formula One race car, Porsche. Okay, so uh, at some point you have to have the ability and, and uh, you know the structure that gets you there. But in terms of training, yes, you have to make horses respond. Although you know, Baid, Jackson Warrior. I mean, Jackie's Warrior. The horses, those horses, they're so well trained in the sense that whenever you ask them, they deliver it. They don't run off. They're not keen. But they travel strongly on the bits. That the moment you do give them their cue to, okay, let's go, you know, kick on, it's instant. It's because they are remarkable horses, but they're also well trained. You know, they're not running off. They're not being too keen early on, losing their energy, and you know, they're able to be within their hands to the moment the jock asked. The moment that jock asked, the you know, the, you can see the acceleration's instantaneous. They're waiting for the cues. So they are very well trained. It's it's um, it's tough to do. And can you train that? Yes. You, you know, you can work them one behind the other. You see many of our turf workers, they work one behind the other. Actually, in every single work we do is one behind the other. The only time we're not taught to be, be covered up behind weight um, is whenever we boost from the gates. All our other works are always one behind the other, teach them to settle, relax, and come at the end. I suppose our horses are very much um, trained to do that. And you see a lot of our horses with a turn of foot because we do train for it. You know, usually they're not forwardly placed. Um, is it because of the way we train or because you know, Joel prefers to be more at the back. I, you know, it's, you know, it depends, but you know, it's a good fit. It's, you know, works well, and I guess it does really suit our training style. And um, 
you know, you try to train your horses to have a devastating turn of foot, especially for turf. Most of the races are won from quarter pull wire. On dirt, it's mostly about attrition, but on turf races, whoever has the best turn of foot nine times out of ten will get the yeah. job done. Yeah, whoever can quicken and find the hole is really usually will win. Last question, Paul, this is uh, yours. Your favorite non-horse racing sporting event you've ever been to? So, believe it or not, I'm a massive soccer fan. I love soccer. Um, I use running as my scapegoats for uh, stressful days. Uh, love soccer events, so Premier League. I'm a big Arsenal fan. I love soccer. I was fortunate to go to an Arsenal game. They lost when I was there in England, actually. They lost Liverpool. It was like 5-4, and the whole Arsenal side were devastated. I was a bit upset, but not nearly as upset as you would think, because it was my first game ever. And I saw, witnessed nine goals, and there were some remarkable goals that took place. So I was delighted. I was a lot of action. I saw yellow cards. I saw red cards. Um, I, I loved it. I'm a big sports guy, to be honest with you. I suppose that's the big difference between that and I as I was raised in the States. So I'm a big basketball fan. I was fortunate enough to be there in Miami. Um, of, of course, I jumped on the bandwagon when the big three took place there between LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh. But um, and obviously, going to Duke, you have to be biased. You know, we had Kyrie, we had Zion, you, you name it. I was lucky there. Uh, I love sports, sports at the highest level. Cause there's many similarities, you know. If you follow the Formula One racing series on Netflix, there's many similarities between that and horse racing. Any sport that you compete at the highest level, which I like to think that we do, for instance, in our industry, there's lots. There's disappointments, there's stresses, there's what's to overcome. You know, you, you look at, you know, any of the Netflix's things, you know, between, you know, the, the basketball teams they follow, the hockey teams they follow, or the Premier League that they have now, they're doing one, you know, all or nothing on Arsenal. There's lots of similarities. There's one common theme is you have to perform. It doesn't matter how you do it, how your style is, what your tactics are, what your, you know, your team you do or anything. But the end conclusion is you have to perform and you have to perform year in, year out. Otherwise, you won't last at the high level. Yeah, you have to perform. You have to be competitive and perform and to work hard. Well, the Clement Stable and yourself has been working very hard and very high level for a long time. Miguel, we're going to let you go. We really appreciate you coming on again. I apologize for the technical difficulties uh, earlier uh, in the show. We got it all worked out. Any final thoughts for the Adelphi uh, Club uh, members and partners that might be watching uh, uh, that, that, that you folks trained for? Yeah, no, it's very simple. So there's like, uh, so previously I mentioned that there's two rules that we have in the stable. You know, rule number one, the boss is always right. And rule number two is to revert back to rule number one. I'll give the Adelphi, um, all the partners, you know, two rules. Rule number one, if the horse is fast, it's thanks to the stables. And rule number two is if the horse is slow, just blame Joe Migliori. That's uh, pretty much my motto for most things <laughs> there in life. You go. Um, community adjuster would be your next runner. Thinking about running or maybe a you know, colonial, believe it or not. Uh, there's a mile and a half race here at Saratoga. I'm not sure she stays a mile and a half. I know she ran a mile three eights here the other day. It was also a false three run race. The pace was very slow, very, very slow. So it's really just a sprint, you know, three furlong sprint at the home. Um, I'm not sure if I wanted to go a mile and a half. You have the Kentucky Downs race, but I know some good fitters are being pointed to that race because everyone's been saving. If you look at the entry box, a lot of people are saving for Kentucky Downs. So that's why I think it's smart. You go Colonial option one. You enter at Colonial, I believe, on August 25th, which is the day before you need a zero day for Kentucky Downs. If the race does not go at Colonial, then you reroute the papers to Kentucky Downs to get that as your backup race. So I have a backup race in case the Colonial race does not go. So she needs to run. She looks tremendous. She's dappled. She looks well, carrying good weight. She's sound. She's happy. She's in good nick. She's in very good condition, the filly. So you do that. Colonial option one. Option two would be um, uh, Kentucky Downs, and you go from there. Um, right. We're supposed to get Trevor McCarthy in the irons to help out Joe Migliori at Colonial, but I think he's got a suspension. 
So I think uh, we rerouted to the leading rider there, which is Loveberry. And um, it's all good. I'm, exci- I'm excited to see her run. She's going to run well, that filly. Okay. She's been fun for you, and um, she's going to be she's gonna be competitive wherever she runs next time out. Well, I look forward to seeing Magistrate run hopefully sometime in the uh, you know fall here. And then looking forward to seeing Magistrate in the Breeders' Cup. No pressure. After, after Magistrate wins the uh, Derby, then we'll, we'll, we'll go. No, I'm just kidding. But Yeah, it has uh, to be at least I, in 2023. I'm, yeah, <laughs> Miguel, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty new in the ownership game, and I'm just, just being able to hang out with these horses. It's just so cool, and we thank you so much for spending time for us tonight and taking care of the a horse that you have through Adelphi. I look forward to uh, seeing you again. Paul, you're, you're obviously there uh are you there for the Travers, right, Paul? You're, you're yeah, I'm right? coming up Thursday. Yep, I'll be there for New York Bread Day, Miguel. So we'll probably be uh, connecting after those races. You guys are in just about every one of them. Yeah, we're running a lot. Uh, it should be a big day. I'm actually quite yeah. excited to see the run. I just hope the weather cooperates. Small chance of showers, I think, on Friday afternoon. But I think oh, we'll yeah. get away with it. But I'm excited. I've got plenty of action this week. And some, I think, are training remarkably well. As I mentioned, Kinesi this week, City Man this week. Um Gufo is always a tough gamble. He always runs well. That's not a question of whether or not he'll show up. It's just whether or not he can get the job done. Because, you know, it, it's very much race tactics to play with him. Yeah. And um, and more importantly, I, I, we're running two against Adelphi, so I need to do everything I can to keep that record intact. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll talk you turn to send you some more cookies. Maybe maybe that'll convince you. Miguel, thanks again. We really appreciate. It. Looking forward to having you on the show uh, once again. And good luck this weekend and going forward. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Take for care, Miguel. Thanks, Bye-bye. Miguel. All right, Paul, that was uh, what, what a great guy. We really appreciate Miguel spending all that time talking with a lot of the sources. Looks like he's got a lot of live ones uh, this weekend, Paul. <laughs> yeah, well, I was looking at the Friday entries, Howard, right when we were coming on the air. And, you know, at the, on page one, it lists uh, by trainer what races they're in. And if I could, I don't know if I could find it here, but they're in, there's 11 races on Friday. I think they are in nine of them. And oh. he said they have 13 horses running, so they must have multiples in, in well, some of the races. Well, I know two against, against um, Funny How, the Adelphi horse. He's got, they've got two in there, so that, that's one race they got two. But anyway, the Clement Stable does a great job, and I can just say, like I said, just to close it out, Paul, I've had nothing but positive experiences meeting Miguel and Kristoff, and, and actually the other Kristoff as well, and Acacia, of course, just everyone is fantastic. And I think they definitely have some more Breeders' Cup uh, wins on the horizon. It's just amazing that they only had the you know, one total with Pizza Bianca. But all I know is the Christoph Clement horses almost always run. Uh, they're even more live with their first-time starters over the last several years. They've been paying attention. And uh, you, you have to always take them seriously. But most importantly, Paul, is that barn, they're clean. They always take care of their horses. They just do it the right way, don't they? Well, they sure do. And, and, you know, in fairness to him, how he does have six seconds and six thirds in the Breeders' Cup. So, yeah. uh, you know, it wasn't like he was never showing up. He, he mentioned Giaponte. Those of us who needed Giaponte to hold off Zenyatta uh, for, for a pick. But, uh, no, he, he is, as I say, you know, at their level, you know, the, the, it was inevitable. I'm glad Miguel talked about that. You know, they – they ran their horses at Belmont, and he, he told you a lot of people wait. Everyone wants to run at Saratoga. Everyone wants to win at Saratoga. It's why the first three weeks at Saratoga, especially, Howard, you have 12, 14, 15-way shakes for in a claiming race because yeah. people know that if you claim in the first three weeks, 
you can still run back. Everyone wants to run at Saratoga, but you know, they had, I think 33 wins at Belmont, if I'm not mistaken. And you know, the, as I say, they're perceived as not having a great Saratoga meet, but you look, I just looked at the standings at number five and it's, it sounds like uh, they're going to be going up or, or it's going to be unhappiness in the uh, Courtney Clement household. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, listen, Paul, we, we appreciate you. Uh, and again, apologize to everyone listening at home for the first uh, 10 or 15 minutes. Paul, I'm going to see if we can uh, edit that out. Perhaps we don't have to worry about that for the viewers. But if not, that's okay. We were able to work it out. want to thank everyone for watching this evening. And, of course, you can uh, listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. And this week, again, this Thursday, 7.30 p.m. Eastern with Andrew Champagne, a big blowout show preview of Travers Day Stakes, the late pick five. And then, of course, this Saturday, I'll be live at the Crazy Poor OTB in Villa Park, Illinois, with the Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge champion, uh, Matt Miller, as we go through live the probably last four or five races leading into the Travers, then, of course, the Travers Stakes. For my wonderful co-host, Paul Haller, this has been your host, Howard Kravitz, the special All About Adelphi episode number three. We look forward to seeing all of you here on the HHH Racing Podcast this Thursday night. Take care, everyone. Have a great evening. Goodbye.